you may open up your Bibles to 1 Peter, and today we'll be focusing primarily on 1 Peter, verse 20 and 21, but we will begin in verse 17. So if you can stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, This is the Word of the Lord. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's pray, church. Father, this morning as we come to worship you, as we come to hear from your word, we pray that you would, Father, be amongst your people by the power of your spirit, Lord. And Father, as your word goes forth, Lord, may it not go out in vain, but may it do a work in our hearts, Father. May it transform us. And may it, Father, align us with your truth, Father, so that we may be able to trust and hope in you more. So this morning we pray that you would display Christ before us, our only hope, Father. And we ask, Lord, that the man would not get in the way, that I would not get in the way, Lord, but your Spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. How are you doing, church? Grace and peace be with you all. If you're new this morning, we welcome you to our Sunday gathering. And to get anything done in life, um, we usually make a plan. If you want to start a family, a new career, um, if you want to go on a retreat, if you want to have a productive day to achieve a goal, to build, to buy a house, You need a good plan. We are a society that has mastered the art of planning. And the results of our planning are many wonderful things. Getting to the moon required lots of planning. And if you don't believe that happened, how about getting the rovers like Curiosity to Mars and we can receive data and pictures from Mars today? Our cars, our phones, and many other technologies are some examples of how we as a society, through careful planning and organization and design, we can put together thousands of parts to make a product or a mission work. Both personally and as a society, through careful planning and persistent work, we have accomplished many things that we enjoy today. But one of the most frustrating things about life is that plans go rarely as planned. There are many obstacles, roadblocks, and hardships that life throws at us. And even the most careful planner cannot account for every obstacle that he will face. For every successful accomplishment, there are hundreds of failed attempts. 
For every plan A, there is a plan B and a C. All of us, at some point, have experienced failed plans. Some of you plan to be married and have two kids by now, and you're still single. Some of you are married, but instead of two kids, you have five kids. Some have planned to have a happy, wonderful marriage, and you find yourself divorced. Maybe you started a business or a career with great ambition that failed. We start relationships that go sour. We make investments and lose lots of money. Maybe you move to Hawaii for a hope of a bright future, but instead you're lonely or you got a disease. All of us have experienced loss and pain from failed plans. And looking beyond our own lives, looking beyond the lives of our friends, seeing the brokenness, seeing the sin in the world, we can say, Lord, what happened to your plan? Why is there so much evil and suffering in this world? Is this part of your plan? What happened to his good creation? Has God failed in his plan? We have wars, atrocities, murder, abuse, human trafficking, racism, terrorism. All these things are constantly on the headlines of the morning news. In the beginning, we see that God created everything perfectly. He himself delighted in his work, and he said that it is very good. And now, after the fall, in the midst of his good creation, there is so much evil. Does the brokenness of creation and the existence of evil prove that God's plan has failed? What happened? And so in 1 Peter, verse 20, we get a very rare glimpse into a time before the creation of the world. Before God spoke anything into existence, before he laid the foundations of the world, Peter says, Christ, he was foreknown. He, the Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. When we plan to do something, we can only hope that everything goes according to plan because we don't know what tomorrow holds. We are limited in our knowledge. We make future decisions based on information in the present and in the past. But unlike us, God does not have that limitation. He is outside of time, and the past, present, and the future are an open book before him. And so God did not create the world crossing his fingers, hoping that everything will go well, and somehow it failed. No. God foresaw the fall. He saw the ruin of evil that will enter into his creation. And in his infinite goodness and his wisdom, God ordained that his son would become the redeemer for the world 
that he is about to create. In response to the coming evil, in response to our disease of sin, to our brokenness, before any of it ever happened, God already displays his loving goodness and grace to his creation. Knowing that man would fall, knowing every wicked thing you and I would do against God, he still creates the world. And before he does, he prepares a remedy for our sin. His son, Jesus, a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, Peter tells us. What a wondrous love is this church. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. But, Peter says, he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. History is a study of past events. It's an attempt uh, to carefully and chronologically organize and record what has happened. That's what history is. And we have historians, we have different historical societies that track history, and we even have many debates on uh, the topic of how history is recorded. We hear things like, well, uh, history is skewed because it is written by winners. Uh, we never get to hear the story of those who lost. Uh, we always hear that history is being rewritten to fit a certain narrative. Uh, we, we hear these things uh, all the time. But what we can say with certainty is that God, because he is all-knowing, is the greatest historian. Not only does he know the past, but he has already ordained the future events, and God orchestrates history in such a way that his ultimate plan of redemption is at the center of it all. Peter tells us that Jesus was foreknown. He was prepared before creation, but was manifest. That word means revealed or displayed. He was displayed at a specific time in history. God is very intentional in how and when he reveals his son. Paul says in Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. And we can see that there is a big gap between when God created the world and now the coming of Jesus in the last times. Thousands of years went by. There's so much things that happen in between. And, and, though this, and through this time, God was not delaying. God was not hoping that there would somehow show up another remedy to our sin. Throughout this time, God did not have a plan A or plan B that he was trying out before he would put all the chips on the table. Peter tells us that before creation took place, God already went all in. He already put his son up for the work of redemption. Peter wants us to know and be certain that the coming of Jesus was not a sporadic, random event. God is not spontaneous. Jesus is not a new plan after many other plans have failed. Jesus was always God's plan A. He was always God's only plan. Historians point to empires, revolutions, uh, technological advancement as the 
And they say that these are the most important moments in history. But all history of the world centers around and finds its purpose in one event. And it's the unveiling, it's the revealing of Jesus. And even before the creation, even before anything ever existed, the future coming of Christ already became the central point of history. All history reaches its climax when Christ is revealed. And so this point, the point, uh, when the, the point between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, the Bible calls it the last times. Christ appeared in the last times. In the last times, uh, he appeared personally. His apostles experienced this. Peter personally saw Jesus. Uh, he was revealed to the early Christians through the message of the apostles. And Christ is continuing to manifest himself and to reveal himself today through the preaching of the gospel and through his church. And so in verse 20, we see that God had a plan from the beginning. Jesus was foreknown before the foundations of the world. We see that God has revealed Jesus at the perfect time in history. He was revealed in the last times. And here's something absolutely amazing. All of this, he was revealed in the last time for the sake of you. Who are we? That the God of the universe would make us the objects of his love. Who are we that he would make himself known to us? Why did God act so graciously with us? We are nothing but a speck in the vast universe. We have violated his laws. We have walked in futile ways. We have abused his gifts, and yet he made us the object of his love. In his love for you, his love for you is not just today. It's not just in your lifetime. But just as Jesus was foreknown before the foundations of the world, if you remember in the same chapter in the verse 2, Peter told us that you were also foreknown with Christ. Before God created the world, he already knew you. God already knew your struggles. He already saw the chains that bound you to your sin. He saw your brokenness, and he saw how you will sin against him. And he still chose to create you. And not only that, but he prepared a ransom to free you from the bondage of sin. In verse 17, Peter calls us to conduct, to behave ourselves with fear. And the reason for that, he says, is because we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers with the precious blood of Jesus. Church, consider, think about how careful God was in planning your redemption. How careful he was to prepare your 
ransom. That plan was set before the foundations of the world. Think about, consider the cost that that ransom was to God. It cost him his very own son. Here's an analogy. Imagine that someone you love is taken hostage and they're forced to do horrific things. And to free them, it's going to require a good plan and it's going to require a fortune of money. So you carefully come up with a plan. You sell everything you have, all of your possessions, to come up with a lump sum of money to ransom your loved one. And so you go and you meet at the agreed location. You give all your money. You just want, to, you just want your loved one back. And the person that you give the money to, he takes off his mask, and it's your loved one. And they laugh at you. Excuse my expression, but they show you the finger. They take your money, and they go back to their horrific life. This is what we do when we claim that we are redeemed children of God and continue to walk in disobedience to him. That's what we do to God. Knowing the cost of your ransom, knowing how careful God planned your redemption, how can you go back to your slavery? How can you continue in anger? How can you continue clicking on porn? How can you continue entertaining thoughts that God has called you to put away? How can you continue to run and find pleasure in sin? Consider the cost for God to ransom you and conduct yourself with fear, knowing what it took to free you. Because to knowingly sin, to knowingly disobey, while counting on the goodness and graciousness of God, is the worst kind of evil. And you should fear God, who will make you pay for every evil you will do. Christ appeared for the sake of you and me. And that is the most amazing and that is the most gracious and loving act of God. He did not leave us in our sin. His love is so massive, it's so great, it's so uncomprehendable. Yet his appearing is also the most fearful thing. If you continue to live in darkness and in disobedience, your ransom costs God everything, and he will not allow anyone to trample on the blood of his son Jesus. There is no middle ground, church. We cannot have it both ways. We just can't. Switching, <clears throat> switching gears, we read that he was manifest in the last time for the sake of you. And in verse 21, we read, who through him, through Jesus, are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
just want to spend some time unpacking these words, faith and hope. We, we hear these words constantly, faith, hope, love. Some of us already lost the meaning to these words because these words are so misused and abused in Christianity. Through good books and bad books, through songs, through sermons, through devotionals, we are constantly called to more faith and to more hope. Some of us have mugs with cliche quotes. Uh, we constantly see uh, Instagram captions under photos that have nothing to do with faith and hope. Um, the meaning of these words have been diluted and confused. So before we unpack uh, what, what, what Peter is calling us to do with our faith and hope, uh, I, wanna, I want us to attempt to recover the meaning of these words. Um, because Peter draws a massive connection between our faith, our hope, and the awesome things that God has done through Jesus. So hope, as you probably noticed, it's a very central theme in this epistle. Um, so it's very essential for us to understand what is hope. And hope can be simply defined as an expectation and a desire for something good to happen in the future. Okay, that's hope. Hope is always geared for the future. It's always geared for something unknown. Okay? You can't hope for what you already have. You can't hope for what already is. Okay? You can't hope for a Ferrari if you already have a Ferrari. You can't hope for a spouse if you already have a spouse. At least you shouldn't. Um, hope is a desire for something in the future. It's not based on today's facts. Hope is also based in the possible, but not certain. Okay? You can hope for something as simple as good weather on a trip or a raise at work. Um, and you might have very good reasons for your hope, but ultimately we all understand that our hope is uncertain. Okay? We leave a chance that the weather on a trip might not be good, so we grab an umbrella. Um, a couple months ago, we got the news that my wife is pregnant. And as soon as I found out, I began to hope that we have twins. <laughs> she, she didn't like that. Um, and then my wife had an ultrasound, and I received the call that nope, it's just one heartbeat. And my hope for twins quickly vanished. Um, my hope was geared to something unknown, but my hope had a possibility. Okay, we have a lot of twins in the family. My hope had a possibility, but it wasn't certain. And so we are not surprised when the news come that, and our hope comes to the end. So that's our natural hope. That's basically the hope that we understand but as Christians, we have another dynamic to hope. God gives us another layer to our hope. Piper says, Biblical hope is not only a desire for something good in the future. It's not just something that we desire. It's something we expect to happen. Okay? That's the quote. And the, and the reason biblical, biblical hope can expect for something to actually to happen is because our hope is in the promises of God 
and we know that God never lies. For example, we have a story of Abraham in the Old Testament and that God has promised him a son through whom he will be the father of many nations. And so there was a problem. Abraham and Sarah, they were getting old. And we read in Romans 4.18, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. Natural hope allows room for uncertainty, while biblical hope has confidence and certainty. So Abraham's trusting in the promise of God continued his hope with certainty, even though there was already no hope. He was hoping, he was believing against hope. And God made true on his promise. That's biblical hope. The problem starts when we, as Christians, begin to apply this hope across the board to every area of our life. We hope with certainty where God has never promised anything. Being a Christian does not mean you have certainty that you will get anything you want. Okay? As a Christian, you will quickly find that out. Okay? The promises, only the promises of God, things that God has promised to us, make our hope sure, absolute, and certain. For everything else, allow uncertainty, Christian. Allow it. It's okay. Be free. So that's a short one on hope. Natural hope is hoping in something, but allowing room for uncertainty. Biblical hope is in the promises of God, and we know with certainty that it will come to pass. Faith, we have a great definition on faith in Hebrews 11.1. The author writes, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. So here we see that faith, it includes biblical hope. Faith is the assurance of things that we hope for in the future. We have faith that what we hope for will actually happen. So faith, it includes hope. But faith is far more than that. It is more than just believing in the future. Faith also believes in the past and in the present. Hope can't do that. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. We don't hope that he did. We believe that he did. So faith is the assurance that we hope for in the future, but it's also the conviction of things unseen. It's the ability to be fully convinced of what we still do not see. Okay? And because the word faith lost so much of its intended meaning, to help us understand um, other translations from Greek uh, to the word faith is also trust um, or a strong confidence. God calls us to trust in him, to have a strong confidence in him. And so just as biblical hope is abused and is applied where God never intended it to apply, we are also constantly told to apply faith in ways God never intended. Prosperity gospel is a great example of that. There's a movement to just name it and claim it and it will be yours. Okay? These are shallow understandings of faith. They attempt to use God to worship self. God never called us to do that. God never 
calls us to follow him with blind faith. He never calls us to be naive. Just like any healthy relationship, either with our kids, our spouses, and our friends, we desire and value trust. We desire to be trusted and trust others. No one appreciates blind trust. There is no pleasure in trusting someone only for the sake of trust. One of the most uh, scariest phrases is, just trust me, okay? We'll get through it, just trust me, okay? That's not a comforting phrase. We want to discover, we want to see reasons why we can trust people. So God, he never tells us to just trust me. He never, never calls us to take a step of faith off a cliff and trust him. God will never call you to do that. God is not satisfied with naive Christianity. God desires for us to have reasons why we believe in him and why we hope in him. God desires us to grow in our confidence in him. When spouses and good friends spent time in deep fellowship with one another, what happens during that time is we grow in appreciation for one another. We discover in each other more reasons to trust. And so, same thing with our relationship with God. Through spiritual discipline, through prayer, through time in Scripture, we create a time for God to give us reasons to trust Him and not something else. And so Peter, through this letter, is constantly giving us reasons to have faith and hope in God. Okay? And that's the intention of these verses here. They end with, so that your faith and hope are in God. So what I want us to do in closing is go through some of these reasons that, that God gives us to have faith and hope in Him. First, in verse 20, we see, God is building our trust in Him. God is giving us reasons to hope in Him by showing us that He always had a plan. And He shows us how we fit that plan. He lets us in on how the plan of redemption was set before the foundations of the world. The existence of evil and sin is not unchecked. God dealt with it before the creation of the world, and He will deal with it at the end. So, first, God is showing us that he has a plan. Secondly, in verse 20, we see that Christ was manifest. He appeared. God gives us reasons. God wants us to believe in him, and so he puts himself out, out, puts himself out there. He appears, and Christ appears to fulfill the plan that he promised for thousands of years. God shows us that he didn't back out. The cost for our redemption was massive. The spotless lamb suffered at the hands of his creation to ransom them from the bondage of sin. God is showing us here that that's what he did for us so that we can hope and trust him. Verse 21, we read that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection proves, it gives us reason to believe in God because God was triumphed over sin and over death. 
he defeated the enemy that held us hostage, and he gives us reasons to trust that we can defeat our enemy by the power of God that dwells within us today. Fourth, in verse 21, we read that God gave him glory. God has made Christ the center of it all because Jesus humbled himself. He obeyed his Father fully and completely, even to the point of death. And as a reward for his obedience, he is now seated at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning in glory. And so when we are tempted to sin, when we are, re- when we are tempted to believe another story, think of how Christ was obedient and it brought him glory. You can trust that God will bring you glory when we obey. His appearance, lastly, is also the reason that we believe in God. Just the appearance of it itself. In verse 21, Peter tells us that it is through Jesus that we are believers in God. It's a simple, but it's a deep truth. Only because of Jesus are we able to know and believe in God? And this is extremely important, especially at a time where we are constantly told that there are many roads, there are many ways to get to God. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What we know about God, His character, His will, His power, is revealed through Jesus. Jesus is the face of God. Our minds are too little and incapable to comprehend the vast and the unmeasurable God. God is uncomprehensible, uncomprehensible. And the revelation of Jesus allows us to know and believe God. And any other belief in God outside of Jesus is false. And that faith cannot reach God. Because Jesus, and only Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is also the reason we believe in God because he is the mediator between God and man. Jesus is our representative, and without his representation, we would never know or believe in God. Without Jesus, we would never know. We would never trust God. Church, as you, are, as you are bombarded with the lies of the culture by the enemy and your flesh, as you are tempted to trust another story, as you are tempted to hope and things other than God, other than the gospel, I ask, Peter compels us to, the Bible compels us to, remember your heritage. Remember who you are. Your heritage began before the foundations of the world. As you are tempted, remember the price that was paid for your ransom. He, Jesus, is the reason you can hope and trust in God. So let that truth fuel you as you grow in your faith in God. And let that truth fuel you to fight your sin this afternoon and for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, who are we that you would reveal yourself to us? 
that you would display Jesus to us, that you would make yourself known through your Son. And God, we thank you that you haven't left us in our misery, you haven't left us in our sin, but you were gracious, you were kind. And from before the foundations of the world, before creation ever existed, you already had a plan of redemption. You already loved us, God. We thank you for that. And Father, may we understand the depth of this love, and may we understand the gravity of this love. And may we walk, may we conduct, and may we obey you with fear, knowing the cost that it took to free us from our slavery to sin, God. Father, give us reasons. Give us um, more ways to understand and to trust you more, God. May we, Father, carve out times in our lives where we would fall down before you in prayer and open up your word so that you would reveal yourself to us and so that we could abandon whatever we trust right now so that we can trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.